You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams, and thank you again for joining us for this, our 100th episode. Uh, Very excited to reach this milestone considering we started this podcast pre-pandemic back in 2019 uh, when we could interview guests in person and then we've run all the way through to 2022 and it's actually been uh, something that's been really exciting to be able to connect with innovators in sports from around the world uh, via Zoom and other various methods and If you are joining us for the first time, this is the Global Sports Technology Podcast. We interview industry leaders across the breadth of sports and adjacent fields in health, fitness, esports, and understand what's the impact that technology is happening on revolutionizing our industry. Uh, And today we have uh, Zach Wiener from Overtime, a fantastic guest and really embodies that revolutionary uh, aspect, I guess, in, in their setting up their own leagues. And we'll hear a bit more about that. Uh, but also, if you're joining us for the first time, a little bit more about myself. Uh, my name is Thomas Alomes, based in Austin, Texas. I'm the SVP uh, Head of Market Research and Insights for STWS. Uh, we're a global consulting firm focused on delivering solutions to grow organizations in sports technology and adjacent markets. Uh, we do research work, we do uh, growth strategy consulting, and we also do education. So, if that's something that you're interested in, uh, seeing how we can help your organization, uh, big or small, then please reach out. And if you haven't listened to any of our other episodes, go back. There's obviously 99 others that you uh, that you need to delve into. Uh, and a big thank you at this point to our to our guests throughout um, the years now uh, with Sports Tech Feed. Obviously, it wouldn't be possible without them. But thank you for their generosity and sharing their opinions, um, their expertise, uh, and their time with us. So something I really appreciate. And finally, to you, the listener, uh, this wouldn't be possible either without without the ears all over the world. Um, and it is truly global. I mean, we've got everyone from uh, Ethiopia to Estonia tuning in. So thank you to, to everyone who's out there that's listening. That's enough out of me for now. Let's go to the interview. Great to have you join us again this week. And on today's show, our 100th episode, very proud to welcome Zach Wiener, Co-founder and president of Overtime. Welcome to the show, Zach. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Thomas. So I've wanted you as a guest for a long time. Um, I haven't actually reached out that many times, so it's just been one of those things percolating in the back of my brain, mainly around what you're doing with setting up new leagues. And uh, I had the pleasure of uh, sitting on the session that you did at South by Southwest um, at the beginning of the year, and that kind of really sparked it to get on there. But before we dive into all that, can you just give an overview of Overtime? Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, appreciate those kind words. Um, yeah, so so over time, we've been around for about five and a half years. And really, the goal at the inception of the company is still the same goal today at the highest level, which is that there are an entire generation, or you could even say generations, of sports fans growing up that have different consumption patterns, different desires, different passion points uh, than you know, the, the, the quote-unquote legacy audience. Um, and we felt that there was an opportunity to create a brand, a community, a media company uh, around this next generation. Um, and so that was really sort of where, where we started. And it's still the goal today. Uh, and we have obviously evolved in how we do that, You know, everything from content to apparel, um, to our own IP, our own sports leagues, um, you know, and we're, we, we're, we're lucky to the point where, you know, now we have, you know, over 65 million followers growing every single day. We do billions of video views, lots of engagement, a really, really strong brand, really 
um, strong sort of set of content, strong monetization pipes, uh, and then, uh, you know, a few exciting sports leagues as well. So, and for the uninitiated, that started a lot with uh, highlight clips um, shared across social media. I'm being a bit reductive in this, but just just for people that are completely unfamiliar with overtime. Um, so a lot of high school athletes in the US um, kind of blowing up on, on socials and getting the highlights of them and then connecting with a young audience that wanted to see that. Um, and so someone like Zion, for, for instance, um, early on and and now you've you've pushed into league. So I mean, what was the what was the impetus to go? You know what? Let's start. Let's start a sports league. Yeah, uh, it's a it's it's a very fair question. Um, so yeah, as you alluded to, you know, we kind of started out with short form content, then built in long form content. Um, you know, and and the style of content that we were able to create just really resonated with this audience, and it helped us to build sort of this this allegiance where, you know, even, even a couple of years in, I could walk down the street in an overtime shirt and a young person would be like, yo, shout out to overtime. I love overtime. Um, and so, you know, as, as we thought about how to kind of leverage that, that community and that audience, we said, you know, what's really the most um, lucrative thing that you can do um, if you have this influence over, you know, nearly 70 million uh, young sports fans and growing. Uh, and, and we looked at the ecosystem and, and we thought about the business model. And, you know, the, in, the, in the early days, we monetized through advertising and apparel, which are still, you know, actually quite growing businesses for us. But we looked at the ecosystem and said, the most valuable part of the sports ecosystem um, is the actual IP. Um, you know, it's, it's the leagues and the teams um, that, you know, fans are so passionate about. Uh, and going back to the original thesis of the company, you know, the younger generation is not always resonating uh, exactly in, in the same ways as the legacy generation. And we felt like we sort of had an unfair advantage. We have the new audience. We understand their preferences really well. We have storytelling and content uh, creation capabilities. Uh, we have all this built in distribution. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's think about launching our own leagues um, because we have this unfair advantage and because there is so much potential value creation. Um, so that was the, the high level um, sort of thought. And then, you know, if, if you want, obviously we can get deeper into the overtime elite story specifically uh, into the OT7 story specifically, uh, but that, that was really the high level thinking. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a that's a great opportunity. What is overtime elite and what is OT7? If you can just give our, our listeners a bit of an overview um, uh, about what they are and then what void you feel like they filled in a marketplace. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that those those two questions are are completely related. I mean, we would not have launched OT or T7 or OT7 if we didn't feel that there was sort of a market opportunity around the young sports fans. So at the at their core, o OTE is a basketball league, OT7 is a football league, but at their core, uh, you know, they're they're fan first. We are thinking about the Gen Z millennial uh audience, which is our audience and everything we've learned about them and how do we optimize the league for them? Um, you know, the leagues are obviously different on the basketball side. Uh, we've basically taken the top 16 to 19 year old basketball players, uh, you know, uh, probably about 80% here in the United States, but also, uh, you know, 20% international players. Um, and we have built a league around them. And, you know, I think that a lot of folks might not understand just how influential these next generation athletes are. 
Um, they are influential amongst other teenagers, but also quite influential amongst folks in their 20s and 30s. Um, there's something, I think, both aspirational and accessible about, call it the 17-year-old basketball star. There's a lot, lot of demand for on-court content of them, off-court content. Um, and so we decided to create a league around them. Um, and, so, and so that's what we did. We launched it about a year ago. We built uh, a, an 100,000 square foot facility in Atlanta. Uh, we built out this, uh, you know, a, an amazing stadium and practice facility, uh, which, in, which you can get more into later if you'd like. And um, yeah, we, we, we kind of took the basketball world by storm in some sense, where young people are now really, really interested in, in overtime elite and OTE. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we were lucky to work with a lot of amazing uh, sponsors in year one, some licensing partners. We did some really, really interesting things. And, you know, season two is starting in about a month uh, and we'll be pushing the envelope even further. Um, so that's on the basketball side. And, and one other point I'd, I'd make on that note, too, is we're doing a lot of amazing things for our athletes on the basketball side. We sort of recognize that there was some challenges in the ecosystem for the elite basketball player that's 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, and so we feel that we've been able to provide amazing opportunities. We provide uh, amazing basketball training, everything from, you know, Co coach Kevin Ali, who won a, a national championship at UConn and played in the NBA. He's our head coach, along with an entire basketball ops staff. Uh, then we have, you know, health and performance. We have a full-time psychologist. So all sorts of stuff on the basketball side. Education-wise, uh, we brought in the principal of the year from Washington, D.C., uh, and have a four to one student to teacher ratio. And then on the empowerment side, uh, you know, our athletes have the ability if they'd so like to get paid a six figure salary, um, or they can decline that salary to retain their NCAA eligibility uh, and, you know, make money through, through NIL, through other opportunities. So um, we feel like there's a big athlete empowerment angle there as well. And then on the football side with OT7, uh, we've recognized that seven on seven football uh, is actually massively popular generation of athletes they're all participating in it uh but also for the next generation of fans and seven on seven football if you're, if you're not aware uh is basically football uh to me with kind of all the best parts so it's it's a shrunk field it's a 40 yard field uh it's very uh quick moving they're 20 minute games um and there's no tackling it's just touch football um and and possessions change over very quickly there's no linemen uh, lots of amazing touchdown uh, passes and catches and, 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 and the like, a lot of awesome jukes. Um, and uh, we, you know, we, we, we ran what I would consider basically sort of a, a, a pilot or, or year one of it uh, in, in June in Vegas. Uh, and we had most of the top, uh, you, know, you know, 17, 18 year old quarterbacks in the country committed to places like Tennessee and USC and all the, you know, the best colleges uh, you know, we had hundreds of media outlets there that, that were interested in these players and how would they perform. And we did a lot of extra sort of fun elements. For example, at the end of the end zone, there was a foam pit. So when the team would score a touchdown, it sort of signaled to like their whole team, like, let's go, let's all jump in the foam pit. Um, you know, and that, and that content performed extraordinarily well for us. The engagement was unbelievable. Um, and so that, that's really our second frontier into leagues, uh, you know, and, and in the future we'll consider other leagues as well. And is it, is it always going to be at that, uh, I guess, youth athlete level that you're focusing? No, I, I, I think it's a great question. And I would say the answer is is no, not necessarily. I mean, if I look at the history of overtime, you're right that we have, I think we found um, sort of a special sauce in terms of uh, storytelling and highlights and stuff around the next generation, 16 to 18 year old athlete. 
Uh, but overtime content, you know, hasn't been limited to that either. I mean, we've done stuff with NBA players, NFL players, college. I mean, we, we run the gamut, you know, we, we, we don't have this mandate to just cover athletes in that, in that, you know, range. We have a mandate to make 13 to 35 year olds really excited. And they're often excited about that age range, but no, I think, you know, just the dynamics in basketball and football in particular, led us to believe that there was opportunity in that age range, but some of the other sports that we consider, uh, you know, we'd look at athletes in their, in their twenties, or maybe even in the, in their thirties, we're not married to that by any means. Yeah. And what role has technology played in, in the journey in creating and growing these, um, well, I mean, over, over time as a whole, but then also the, uh, the leagues in particular. Yeah, for sure. I would say in, in, a, in a lot of different ways, I'll try to hit on some of the key highlights. Um, if I think sort of about overtime sort of core, so to speak, you know, pre leagues, and then I'll get to the leagues. Um, I, I point to a couple things. One is that very early on, we had the ability to get highlights, um, basically of, of athletes from all over the world, very cost efficiently, uh, and, and very quickly and at scale. Uh, and a lot of people don't know this, but the reason why, and we still use this today is that we built a technology that allows us to send people, uh, anywhere in the world to a gym or to a field or wherever it is. And they use um, our, you know, our proprietary app that's only available to our basically in-house network uh, of contractors um, that will go to games, hold up on their phone. And it's basically like DVR for your phone. You're, you're panning to the action. When a highlight happens, you press a button and it goes back 15 seconds. It's you know, like I said, it's like DVR for your phone. So, um, so that, that helped us scale a lot uh, early on when we didn't have as much capital, et cetera. Now, obviously, we have more capital, we're doing more things, but we still leverage that technology. So I would say that was a big component. I would say second is, you know, obviously, we've leveraged uh, and partnered with the, the social platforms to a really heavy degree. And I think, you know, would it have been possible for us to build such a strong brand and following in the pre, you know, iPhone mobile era? Uh, no. And would it have been possible without some of the social platforms? I don't think so. I think we've done a really good job of leveraging uh, you know, the, the analytics and data that we get from those platforms and optimizing and continuing to innovate content. So, you know, th there are a bunch of other stuff we've done on, on the technology side on overtime as well, but those are some of the highlights. And then I would say on the, on the league side, um, I would probably start with, um, our arena, uh, in, in, in Atlanta. Um, I think we have hundred led screens in there. Um, just, just in a, like, you know, we, 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 we've had, Luckily, a lot of NBA players come through Devin Booker, Carmelo Anthony. We've had, you know, rappers like 2 Chains sit, sit courtside. And I remember like 2 Chains was like, whoa, this feels like a video game. It feels like 2K. Um, so I think from a fan experience standpoint, it feels very technologically forward. There's, you know, giant jumbotrons. I, I, I would, you know, I would make an argument that it is almost certainly uh, the most technology and, and, and screen of any, of any stadium on a per square foot basis. Um, for sure. And that's because it's optimized for the digital audience and, and having sort of all those exciting things. Um, but it extends beyond just sort of the, the, the show quarter, as we call it. Uh, you know, we use a lot of technology uh, on our practice courts and in our weight room uh, to track players and, and give them sort of the best possible path forward. Um, so th th those are those are some of the ways that we leverage technology in the league as well. And back to the point about social media. So as you said, you've being able to build this global audience, this super hyper-engaged uh, kind of youth market audience through social media. But then the prevailing thought bubble in the sports world is the properties and leagues, uh, which you are now one of, 
Um, need to prioritize that first party data. So looking at owned and operated platforms, I mean, we're seeing it with countless leagues and and even sometimes teams uh, launching their OTT or, or plus products, the amount of things that ha- now have the plus at the end of them, um, I've lost, lost track of. Um, <laughs> but you've, you've built and grown your business through social media. So what's the balance between owning that fan relationship one-to-one and then putting content where the fans actually are? I mean, fishing where the fish are in terms of um, social media platforms. Yeah, I think as you said, I think balance is is the right word. Um, you know, we 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 do ha- we we do have. I would say we have a direct relationship with the audience, both literally and also figuratively. Literally, you know, we we have plenty of email addresses and phone numbers, and and you know, sort of uh, you know, direct relationships in that sense. But I would argue that our what most people would consider an indirect relationship, let's say on TikTok or Instagram, et cetera. I would argue is not so indirect for us just because the level of fandom and engagement, um, you know, I think most accounts that that folks follow, whether in sports or not, uh, people are not sort of commenting and DMing. I mean, we respond to thousands of DMs like it, it's 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 really insane, sort of the personal feel that over time has. Um, and, and, and look, you know, we, we, we've talked about this in, in previous press and stuff. It's no secret that, you know, one of the, the main uh paths of monetization for us is, is media rights for sure. Um, and so, you know, do, do I think that uh, our, our ultimate goal is to have our, our own OTT and for all of OTE and OT7 games to just be on our platform? It's not impossible, but I think that sports rights are really, really valuable to the entire ecosystem right now, both to the legacy media companies and to the new technology companies. So, and they, and they have massive audiences. So, um, I'm not necessarily obsessed with us having our own OTT. I, I am obsessed with the fan experience uh, and making sure that they feel like they're a part of overtime. And, and, and that's really our, our number one goal, I would say. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, that's certainly in, in the space that I'm at in the quote unquote thought leadership uh, area. It's going, well, how are we going to connect with our fans? How are we going to get this first party data? How are we going to launch our own operated platform and then you go, well, the NFL just sold their TV rights for $110 billion. So, um, you know, they seem to be doing something right in terms of legacy media. So it's it's sometimes not throwing the baby out with the bathwater in terms of uh, avenues to monetization. So is there plans for further leagues then if in terms of building these assets? Is that, is that the, the strategically, is it going forwards and building up OTE, OT7 as much as possible, looking at media rights, growing that up? Um, or is it going, hey, where are some other areas that we can expand to? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think I think when you have tens of millions of young sports fans, I think in, in many ways it feels like there's unlimited things that we can do. I mean, there's so many opportunities that we've talked about. Uh, but I would say that, you know, the majority of our of our resources and time and focus will be growing revenues on the core side of the business through advertising and apparel, which we've seen great growth on year over year, basically every single year since we start monetizing. Uh, and then, yeah, I- investing against our sports leagues because we feel like there is just such high upside in that. Uh, and we don't think that we necessarily have to stop at basketball and football. I mean, I think that those are, you know, huge monetary opportunities on their own. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, call it three to five years from now, I could see us having three to five properties um, that are generating a ton of cash flow and and are really impactful in in the marketplace. And coming back to the, the technology uh, role, like how, how do you scout new technology? So obviously Web three, um, NFTs, collectibles, stuff like that. Crypto, it's gone through a bit of a, a roller coaster, um, both in terms of crypto prices, but then also um, 
consumer sentiment, if you want to put it that way. Um, how does that fit in terms of what overtime is going to include um, akin to, you know, NBA going with with Dapper Labs and Top Shot and things like that? Is that is that something that you look to the leagues and say, what are they doing? Or are you scouting your own technology and own kind of innovation pathways? Yeah, I, I would say a combination. Um, you know, I think, you know, as I mentioned, I think it all sort of boils down to the fan first approach. And so I'll, I'll give you an example of something we, we, we've done in that space that was really successful. Um, we ran something called Bracket X. Um, this was actually around March Madness. Uh, and we basically uh, allowed people to buy actually pre-filled out brackets uh, for March Madness, um, where they, they, they basically were, you know, were assigned, they, it wasn't like, they weren't pre-assigned where like the 16 seed was being the one, it wasn't completely random. They were kind of reasonable picks, uh, and, but they got it as an NFT. Um, and so that meant that they could buy and sell and trade, um, those, those NFTs. And it, it was massively successful. Our community really, really loved it. Um, and so I think as we think about, you know, Web3 and, and how we apply it both to kind of overtime in our general community, but also how we apply it to OT and OT7, I, I think, yeah, I think it's, it's fan first. And then I think it's also like, we just have so much flexibility, right? Like we do not have, a, you know, a, you know, the, 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 we don't, we don't generally have to deal with much with like agents and all this representation and all these things. And, you know, we don't have team owners. Like there's so many dynamics um, that make us all be able to innovate a lot faster. And obviously technology itself is innovation. So our ability to kind of move quickly and, and test and iterate and do things that benefit the athletes and the fans at the same time, I think uh, we're in a really unique spot. So, um, you know, I, I think it's listening to fans, listening to the athletes and, and obviously working with certain partners in that space as well. Yeah, I mean, the, working with partners, the example that comes to mind is Meta or Facebook um, and the VR, AR, um, kind of activations that you did with them, which is a clear thing where they want to show their capabilities around that and connect with it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that is such a perfect example because, you know, I, I think, I, look, I, I, I think Meta is so excited to, to be partnering with us for a few reasons. Obviously it's, it's the audience and it's the cultural relevance and it's the scale of OTE, but to your point, it's also, you know, we kind of use this, this language sometimes it's almost like OTE is almost in some ways like a sandbox for innovation. Um, and so we can do things like we did with Meta during our, our our dunk show where we can have cameras in places where you know other leagues might not necessarily do it. And if you go on to to, to the MetaQuest and 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 watch some of the OTE events, whether it's live or VOD, like it, it feels like you're really there and you feel immersed in something. And I think our ability to kind of be adaptable, um, it really helps us execute on partnerships like that. Yeah, definitely. And so looking to the growth, and this is a, this is a big hypothetical, so feel free to completely ignore this question. Um, but is there, a, is there a future where you bump up against the NBA, the NFL, the incumbents? We've talked about leg legacy audience, all that kind of stuff. Um, how do you keep those relationships warm um, or is it just one of those things where you go, it's David and Goliath and you actually say, we're going to go head to head. No. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, 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 I don't view the NBA or the NFL as, as competitors in that way. And, you know, we, we have good relationships with both and I don't think that they view us that way either. I think, um, and in fact, I think that there is a lot, a lot of synergies just from each of our successes um, you know, especially in basketball and football, because we're dealing with that younger athlete, um, 
generally we're helping athletes become more sort of marketable and famous, which is good um, for, for, for the leagues that they will eventually go to. Uh, we are helping them become better at their sport and also more well rested and sort of, you know, less likely for injuries when they reach the NBA or the NFL. Uh, you know, we're obviously putting a lot of resources against education. So I think we're doing a lot of things for the athletes that they really appreciate. And on the fan development side, I mean, look, at the end of the day, we're creating overtime and OT fans, but we're creating basketball and, 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 and football fans on the OT seven side. So, um, no, I, I, I don't think that I, I don't look at them as as sort of David and Goliath competitors. And I don't think that, that they look at that us either from the conversations that we've had. OK, yeah. And, and and speaking about that, I mean, obviously, NBA, the NFL, uh, US leagues, but the, the global global leagues in that space. Uh, what are the plans in the round ball game in terms of the world world game, football, soccer, football with a U? Uh, kind of pushing out beyond the US. Is there anything in place? Is there anything in place that you can share or is it something that um uh, we're not privy to yet? Yeah, um you know, we 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 do we do do uh football content as as you said uh in uh you know, on on just sort of the overtime side, we have Overtime FC which actually has gigantic TikTok and Instagram accounts and we do a lot of content um on that. Uh in terms of kind of launched IP around leagues. Um, I, I mean, it's super interesting. Obviously it's the biggest sport in the world. Um, I think, uh, I think there are certain sports where we'd probably prefer to go in with a, with a partner. Um, and I think, you know, soccer is probably one of those spaces is my gut um, because there's kind of so many different entities and, you know, there, there, there is, there's also obviously the academies overseas and even now here in the United States. So I think it's a massive opportunity and I think we can bring a lot of value to the ecosystem. Um, but I think my, my gut is that, that a partner is probably, um, the right way to go and to create something really amazing, lucrative. Um, but, but not necessarily. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Zach. Uh, conscious of uh, of time and wrapping it up here but before we let you go I want to ask you your favorite sporting moment of all time wow oh that is a that is a tough one um I mean it not not to sound corny uh but the uh last year our our, our championship moment uh, at OTE when our, when our first OTE champion was crowned like it, it was pretty surreal for me. I mean, we had confetti coming from, from down and like, there was a, you know, there was a, an MVP trophy and like, it was like, wow, like we, we really did this. We, we really created a league and, and made something that, that the athletes care about and the fans were going crazy. Um, you know, and obviously we have a lot of work to do ahead, but that was, that was, that was honestly one of the most special moments of my life. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty unique. No one's come on and said uh, the moment that it was a championship for the league that I helped create. <laughs> um, that's you, you're definitely the first for that in a hundred episodes. So thanks Zach. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm, as I said, a, a big fan of what's happening there. I think it's, um, a lot of what is happening at overtime and OTE, as you said, the innovation test bed, sandpit, whatever else. I think there's a lot that, uh, incumbent sports leagues, uh, can learn from, from looking to that. So it's really exciting to see that fan first approach using technology where it makes sense. Um, and then also focusing on the athlete as well. I think that's something that's, it's kind of got the balance between those three elements. So wish you every success and we'll, um, we'll stay, stay tuned to your journey. 
Yeah, thank you, Thomas. I really appreciate all that. Thanks for having me on.